Hello and welcome to the First Time Founders Podcast, the show where we talk about how to start a business from nothing and grow it into something meaningful. Today, I'm very excited that my very special guest is Meg Payne, the Operations Director and Integrator in EOS Entrepreneurial Operating System parlance for my former startup, Yapster. Today, we're going to talk about the role that process, one of the six components of EOS, plays in getting a small company successfully acquired in a way where um, you maximize value for the acquiring entity, you maximize clarity and minimize um, disruption to customers and to colleagues as you go through an acquisition process. Meg is an amazing integrator and the acquisition of Yapster wouldn't have happened without her. So she's very kindly agreed to come on and do multiple episodes with me, but the episode today is focused on process as a vehicle for getting your company successfully acquired. I hope you enjoy it and I definitely uh, hope she comes back and you enjoy future episodes too. So without further ado, my conversation with Meg Payne. Meg Payne, welcome to the First Time Founders Podcast. Thank you for doing this. Thanks very much for having me. Excited to, to get into it. And you have, have foolishly agreed to be a recurring guest up front before we've even completed the first episode. And the reason I needed to tee you up for multiple appearances, is, as our viewers and listeners are going to realise, is you and I go a long way back now, I've discovered a lot together, worked through a lot of pain in finding, no pun intended with the surname, finding the way to operate a great company that we can feel really proud of. And that basically is going to cover tons and tons of stuff. We're not going to be able to time, have time to go into it today. We're going to talk about process and mergers and acquisitions today. Before we do that, and I'm probably going to have to get you to introduce yourself every time we do one of these episodes, would you mind explaining to people sort of your role in Yapster, particularly in EOS language, so we can then you know take it forward in the process component? Yeah, absolutely. Um, as I mentioned, great to be here so that we can sort of counsel each other on our on our scars from what we've been through together. Um, so I was Yapster's integrator. Um, so um, in sort of non-EOS terms, that really sat within operations. So I was the operations director, um, but I was Rob's counterpart. Um, Rob fulfilled a visionary role, whereas I was that that integrator role. Um, so taking the, the longer term uh, goals and plans that we had uh, iterated on and actually putting them into action. How do we execute on those one and three year um, pictures, break them down into much more achievable rocks, so 90 day special projects, and then making sure that we are actually um, either on track or flagging and mitigating when we inevitably veered off track, um, which I'm sure we'll talk about quite a lot um, in these sessions, but just making sure that the sort of the internal systems um, were running as, as planned, making sure the trains were going on time and being that mirror internally into, yes, these one-year plans look great, but how are we actually doing against them? Are we doing the right initiatives? And if not, how can we, uh, how can we change that? Amazing. And it, I'm not ashamed to say that um, when we decided to seek acquisition of Yapster, it was in no small part from the leadership team meetings that we had that you chaired where it became clear that my vision to build a trillion dollar independent mobile communications juggernaut was probably not going to be realistic with the resources at our disposal um, post-COVID. Would you mind just talking to, to our audience around um, just some sort of ta tangible examples of when you'll see a vision either on track or, or, or off track and how that manifests itself in a business running on EOS? 
Yeah, absolutely. So one of the key components of EOS is, is actually setting out your vision and, and completing your VTO, the Vision Traction Organizer. Organizer. Um, of that, of the eight questions that you want to be working on with your leadership team and then filtering out into groups with the rest of your business is your one, three and 10 year plans, goals, pictures. Um, that longer term 10 year goal is, is always this aspirational dream. Um, which obviously comes very easily to, to found a visionary types. And then your three-year goal is, is slightly more medium term, um, but particularly the three-year and the one-year plan really needs some substance behind it in order to think, okay, so yes, this is what we want to do, but how are we going to get there? Um, the tools at play being obviously those one-year and three-year plans, but then breaking them down into rocks, you're then all of a sudden you're on a quarterly cadence, which breaks down even further to your... Um, your monthly meetings and then your weekly L10s. That is really where you're going to be um, confronted with that progress or their lack of because you can't ignore the data points, the measurables that you're seeing in your scorecard on that weekly and monthly basis. Um, so we had uh, we had our L10s in the, the leadership team and also then rolled down to our departmental um, L10s as well. Um, and then we had um, monthly, we called them all pause, playing on the dog pen, but all hands meetings, um, and then rolling that up to quarterly as well. So that cadence was really, really important in order to be be honest with ourselves. Are we still green? Are we still on track with those measurables? Um, or have we veered off slightly here? Um, and that was that veering off or the consistent reds on our scorecards um, that inevitably led us to um, the sort of proclamation or the acceptance that this independency goal that we had in our tenure uh, picture wasn't necessarily achievable um, and maybe we need to sort of revisit that and, and inevitably we looked at uh, seeking, seeking acquisition in the end. And, and so I'll just um, explain what that meant sort of practically on the visionary side of the equation because I agree. Um, we had lot. We had some really great customers. And we had a lot of really good conversations. Um, Meg affectionately used to call it story time with Rob in our L10s when I'd be explaining in increasingly florid language why a customer that I thought was going to commit to us hadn't yet. <laughs> and what often happened is because we were doing pure play communications, and communications is super important, but to a lot of these like hard, grisly frontline economy businesses like hospitality operators they're really in the business of need to have and they think of communications and engaging frontline people as nice to have, rightly or wrongly. So for example, a need to have for them will be, we have to make payroll, we need a payroll system. We have to process payments when customers come in and try and, and ask for their check. So we need a, we need an EPOS system. We have to get all of the employees um, certificated from a health and safety perspective because that's a legal requirement, right? Those are all need to have systems. And what we just found again and again was these great brands would prioritize one of the three systems that I just mentioned or something else they perceive to be a need to have over comms. And so they'd be like, Rob, I love you or the sales team. You're great guys. And this comms thing we really want to do, but it's going to be a next year thing. And so it became very clear to me in my kind of vision role was that I had to think of a new vision for the organization that was going to enable us to bring these customers forward in terms of closing. And the obvious thing to do was to seek to be a part of a bigger organization that was also selling them need to have technology. Is that fair, Meg? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think just to put it simply, you never want to have to, if you can avoid it, you never want to have to explain a problem to a customer to then say how you can solve that problem. It should already be quite an obvious pain point. Um, and I think that's where we struggle, just getting that product market fit 
because you don't want to be you you ideally you want to be fighting with competitors and that's the really exciting challenge um that i've that i've experienced in our space in sas you want to be known as one of those competitors and you'll know the other sort of um similar products in, in your area you don't want to be fighting to even be considered a problem or to even be considered as a line on the PL. It should be an already established issue or problem that requires something to, to slot in and, and solve that or, or support in, in that solution. Um, and I think that's that's where we struggled and, and that's where we came to inevitably that that point solution uh, methodology wasn't working for us. And we'd made that decision years previously to really concentrate and, and narrow down on comms. Whereas we would actually need the support of a product that's similar in terms of market fit and industry, but actually has a broader um, customer base because it solves not just that one solution, but um, but quite a few problem areas. Yeah, I think one of the things that's interesting is we, of course, found the entrepreneurial operating system five years into what was ultimately an eight year journey. I suspect if we'd known about it three years earlier, we would have pivoted into learning, probably rotoring, and it would have been a completely different outcome. So, and I'm sure we'll, as we go through this and other conversations, we'll talk about what it felt like to learn to run a small company and lead one um, effectively, both strategically and operationally. But that's for another day. So, we decide that we need to get acquired by a big brother or sister that has a wider set of products that our target customers can buy into and then get the benefit of the sex appeal of the Yapster messaging solution. Um, Mate, do you want to talk viewers and listeners through roughly high level what the process of getting a small company acquired kind of looks like? And then we'll get into the role that process plays. Yeah, absolutely. So um, once we had made contact with some corporate advisors that that understood our niche and understood the sorts of brother sister companies that we were looking for, it was all then really about telling our story in the best way possible. And when I say telling our story, I don't mean story time with Rob, um, which although enthusiastic and very, uh, oh, what's the word I would use? Compelling. <laughs> um, it doesn't translate. Um, and you can't just parade Rob out every time you need to talk to investors. Um, what that looked like was actually getting our house in order in terms of our numbers, our financial due diligence, and actually showing what eight years at Yapster looks like on paper. Um, so practically, that was um, an information overview document. I would refer to that as the the teaser or the trailer of a film before the, the real thing. Um, to just sort of whet the appetite and, and see what interest we could garner. Um, and then over to the, the corporate advisors in terms of what they do best and actually bringing that interest in. Um, and then it really was, hey, can you answer all questions about your business that you should know? And when you can't answer those questions, you need to be quick and find the answers. <laughs> um, so uh, a lot of... Uh, going back through historical accounts, um, looking at any anomalies that may be working our, with our accountants to understand the, um, the sort of the methodologies that we may have used. For example, how do we recognize revenue? Do we know that? Has it always been the case? Why did we choose to do it that way? Um, and there was, yeah, I'd say a lot of just communicating with varying stakeholders to make sure that just like internally with internal operations, the trains are running on time and um, we don't become blockers to our own future, um, which is incredibly deep. But but that was the case of are we are we hurting ourselves right now in terms of either answers that we can't um, can't find or even just 
uh, a lack of organization earlier in the, the company's uh, establishment, is that hurting us down the line? And um, that's what my role really looked like for a good six to nine months as I made sure that we were putting our best foot forward. Awesome. So Meg, do you want to talk a little bit about can we give some examples of some some processes and the typically the level of process management documentation that at least the companies running on EOS would normally get into? So, I mean, I'll just call out some examples. Obviously, most companies will have an HR process documented or not. Most companies will have a marketing process, a sales process to create demand and capture it. Probably a few operating processes, accounting process you've just alluded to support process um it's up to you and what order you want to take it in terms of describing some processes or talking about how to document i guess those two things go together in a way don't they yeah absolutely because i think you have to go into the exercise of documenting and establishing your processes with the right mindset it can be very easy to be turned off from the initiative even before you begin because it's an overwhelming scenario where you think i've got to write down how every single thing in this business works do I know that? That's a good point. Which stakeholders do I need to bring in? Um, with the and, OS, there's the 80-20 rule, which I'm sure uh, you can... I was just, I'm sorry to interrupt me, but actually I've just realised I'm a terrible interviewer because it's a lousy question in that. Can you also comment on why entrepreneurs should invest in process? Because I've just realised we've jumped to just assuming that we should be documenting processes. I bet there's a load of people listening thinking, what a pair of bureaucrats. <laughs> I have been called that in the past, to be, to be completely fair. Potentially by me. <laughs> yeah, one or two. One or two. <laughs> Absolutely. I think um, that is a fair assumption. Like, why should I sit down and, and put the time in to write this down when I could be out getting deals, I could be out meeting investors, etc. Um, but again, it goes to that mindset of why have you why have you founded that business or why, why have you joined that business? You haven't joined this business to work in it for the rest of your life, I'm assuming, because... The, the types of personas that tend to be those visionaries are the, the big dreamers uh, who know that they've got an exciting idea that they want to see play out. They want to see its success. So just being in a business for the compensation, yes, it should be the value that you bring to that business and it should be adjusted accordingly. But you're, you're still looking for your exit and you're looking for a successful exit. You cannot have a successful exit unless your business is scaled. You can't scale if it's the Wild West within that business. Um, yes, you hear of unicorns. Brilliant. Great for the industry to hear about them. <laughs> They're unicorns for a reason. It doesn't happen for everyone. It hardly happens for anyone. The rest of the success stories are built out because they have processes in place that allow them to scale, that allow them to deliver consistent, competent service across the board. Expectations are clear for those customers, for people um, who are on the opposite side of, of being being given that service and also expectations are in place for everyone within your team. They know how to do their jobs because it's super, super clear. They can excel, they can perform super well, they can get promoted and, and you see their professional development, but they aren't just left to their own devices within that within that business. So I think that addresses the need for process in the first place. Yeah, I, I would I would accept that. And actually, if you it would be cool to talk about maybe the operations execs in the Yapster world because I obviously used to love diving on grenades to help customers whenever they needed me. But I, I reluctantly agreed eventually that they got a better experience overall when I, I let go of the vine. Um do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. So so our operations execs at Yapster really were um Rob's air cover 
I think that that's that's a, a great place to start. So um, all of the relationships at Yapster with our customers began with some sort of relationship with Rob. Um, in, in the early days, that was because Rob was the only one closing deals, the only one looking after customers. He was your pre-sales, your sales, your, marketing, your customer support. <laughs> like faulty uh, towers. From, <laughs> apart from building the uh, building um, and maintaining the product because he had a technical uh, co-founder. Um, when we then were scaling um, gradually, we knew that that wasn't sustainable. And as much as it's great to have a response uh, within an hour from the founder of the business and customers certainly enjoyed that, privilege or or whatever you want to call it that relationship whenever Rob was doing that he was dropping something else because you only have a certain amount of capacity per day right so in in terms of if he was prioritizing customer communication something else was dropping and it was that acknowledgement that hey maybe that's not the best way to deal with things yes if we know that we're happy to drop that okay but that wasn't the case here it was ah well you know no one else is going to talk to customers, so I'm going to have to. Um, once we had built out a, a customer success uh, function, we just started laying down some ground rules around our, our SLAs. So how responsive we were going to be, what sort of things we would pick up on the day and what sort of things that would then go into a, a technical process. Uh, the difference being answering ad hoc questions, of course, we'd be able to respond nice and quickly. Whereas if there was uh, if there were any uh, technical changes or, or any bugs um, that would then go into its own development process. Um, so those operations execs would, as I say, be air cover for Rob. Um, but it's very hard to let go, I think, is the is the key thing here. So the customers weren't seeing a massively different experience um, in terms of that support, um, but they would perhaps get a response every working day or at least a first response within a working day, whereas Rob would probably message within sort of five minutes on his way out to a meeting um, and would think, well, let me just jump in here because I know the context. It's easier if I just do this rather than sort of wait and perhaps let them be disappointed, etc. It was always coming from a great place. But in doing that, Rob was sabotaging systems that he had agreed to or processes that he had agreed to for the, the greater good that that wasn't actually so great. Um, so, so that was that was why we definitely needed that air cover. Um, and those roles, slightly slightly off topic here, but those roles were um, a really great way for our, our juniors to get an idea of everything that went into being a founder of a business. And then they also then gave them jumping off points of like, okay, well, I was really interested in in this side of the business that I saw Rob do. And, and one of our ops execs actually ended up in our in our sales team um, and, and massively excelled because they were given that um, round picture of what processes they could be involved in and then found their, found their sort of um, later interests. So slightly off process there, but I think worth, mm -hmm. uh, worth sharing because startups are a, a manic field. But if you can show some semblance of calm, that's, that's super important. No, it's, it's so true. I think what really persuaded me was where I felt like I was being a hero. It was remembering that as the user base grew, right? I mean, we had a point, you know, 100,000 users, some of the biggest brands on the high street in our customer population. You just realized that what you wanted is in addition to being a hero when required, and that never fully went away, nor should it, people could always give you a call if something had gone really wrong with the quote machine. 
what you were trying to do was increase the average level of performance and the average level of service and satisfaction for the entire customer community, not kind of break, allowing things to break and then kind of apologizing and winning people back by swooping in. You know, that, 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 that's right, isn't it, Meg? Yeah, excuse me. <clears throat> yeah, I would say so. I mean, especially in startups, you do find many personas that are ready and willing to bend over backwards when things go wrong. It's it's such a um, it's such an amazing trait because inevitably in in startup life things do go wrong, and you need that personality that's not going to um, really dwell on the negatives, but is going to be that that go out and get it attitude that that can just take it and run. And acknowledge that something's gone wrong, but then work absolutely over time to uh, and over time in the sense of um, give their all to go out and fix it. But not everything breaks all the time, and you like there's almost a um, a reversal happening where you're willing to bend over backwards when nothing has broken. Yeah, and it's a case of no, there's 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 nothing wrong here. Let's let's evaluate: is the process broken? No, the process works in in exactly the way that we planned it. Okay, so is it the person that is, that's not following the process? And we were able to give super candid feedback between the two of us on that point because we would see that things were going on, uh, going wrong. We would address them in exactly that way. Is it that the process doesn't work as well as as we thought it would, or is it that the person in that seat hasn't followed it? And a lot of the times we were able to say, "Hey, Rob." You have jumped in there. Yes, it felt good at the time, but actually that's not the process. Like if you had just followed the process, that'd be exactly, that would work out exactly as we had sort of planned for it. So there is an adjustment, I'd say definitely. Um, it's not necessarily specific for founders, but I have seen it with founders quite a lot where the the urge to jump in and really just sort of fall on your sword is almost too readily available um, <laughs> and but you've gone a long time with no process right so that bedding in period is is an adjustment for all yeah it um one of the things you did really well was you were always on hand for me to be and, and I thought you understood and actually even more so over time that sometimes I just needed to not just call you ad hoc but we'd do we'd do a check-in and I'd say to you I've just got this feeling in my stomach that this is not right and this isn't on brand and like I think the process might be wrong and I would say like a decent number of the times you'd be like oh, okay like that's fair like at the end of the day this is all in service of happy customers and I, I found that all I had to do was train myself to not say nothing but just not to say something to the customer or some random poor colleague that's just trying to do a good job and talk to you so we could agree whether it's process or or performance of process and then take an action lined up together right yeah, absolutely. I think that's where there needs to be flexibility on both sides and that there is there is a, a natural sort of friction between these two roles sometimes in that, you know, I've just put in a, a lovely pretty process and I'm so proud of it and it's got all these steps and then someone turns around or let's say you turn around and you're like, Meg, half of that isn't right. Half of that <laughs> is so against what we do. But Rob, I've just spent like a really nice afternoon just with my processes. Like, <laughs> could you not? That is genuinely my go-to. Uh, and I know your go-to is probably earing more on the side of being a bit looser. So having that understanding between us that 
whatever happens the customer is at the center is is really really important and it's it's so nice just being reminded of that when i maybe veer off too far to one way and you veer off the other way sometimes the process could be lovely cold on a piece of paper but it might not be the right fit for your business and that's okay processes are not made to be set in stone if if they're set in stone and there can't be any amendments to them that's when they just become these stale things that are written down somewhere that never get used never get looked at they're not these living breathing evolving procedures that should be changed like your processes should be changing on a quarterly cadence as your business changes as your business grows um the it's the framework that's important of some semblance of everyone within that function is broadly following the same line to then deliver broadly the same result that's that's the that's the key there so love that we had that open line of communication yeah no i enjoyed that as well i um can we talk a little bit about like what it means to document a process because I, I think folks that are listening that are like me are going to be like okay so Meg's just given me permission to document with like literally one sentence with no no informational value in it and folks like you are going to be like okay she said don't write a 700 page standard operating procedure but probably 500 pages is okay <laughs> so can you just be a little bit more like give people a bit more flesh on that bone yeah sure absolutely so um within EOS it's the 80 20 rule so you want to get down 80% of what's going on, but with with 20% of that input. So this shouldn't be taking you days and weeks on end. Um, and, and the key really here is what are your core workflows within the business? Um, that would probably relate to some section of each department, but it doesn't necessarily have to be a process for each department. Um, what I really love doing is thinking about the customer journey. Um, so that could be just one process is like, how, how do we get from nobody to prospect to customer to renewing? That is all arguably one process, but you've then taken the the business through your, your pre-sales and marketing, your demand gen, your sales, going over to implementation, um, and then your, your customer success or customer support. And then you look at your renewals, which is again with the sales team. So it will end up in a sort of loop, but that's a really nice way of making sure that you've got the main points of each um, each section of the customer lifecycle down without having to say, hey, marketing team, write down every single thing you do. Hey, and, and so on and so on. So the customer process or the customer lifecycle um, makes up the majority of that. And then if you look internally, then there will be some stock um, stock processes that you'll probably need to document. Um, if you are an integrated type, a lot of that knowledge is going to sit with you because you will probably be um, overseeing the the internal operations, like how we pay suppliers, how we make sure that we do X on time, um, what systems have we got in place, that, that side of things. Um, and then you will have a people process. The people process, if you're if you're naturally wanting to write 700 pages, you could arguably split that out, really fight against that urge. The people process covers how do you attract um, how do you attract people to new roles? Even one step behind that, how do you decide that you need a new role in the business? So how do you decide that you need a new seat on the accountability chart? Have you budgeted for that? Okay, then how do you go about getting someone in? Um, and getting some interviews. How do you interview? How do you recruit? How do you onboard? 
Uh, and then how do you performance manage? I'm saying words here that could be eight to 10 different processes, but they all actually just lead up to that one core people process. And we're just expecting bullet points here of the main actions. Um, this is not a prescriptive write down every single thing you do when you hire someone new. Um, so yeah, there's depending on your personality traits, you'll be fighting against either doing this too loosely or way, way, way uh, <laughs> too descriptively. Um, but they, there is definitely a happy middle ground. No, I totally agree with that. So then, okay, now let's talk about, um, you mentioned getting a process followed by all, developing a process, iterating a process. My favorite story from our Yapster journey is our finance process, like our management accounts process. So for context for folks, we always had good finance leaders, outside accountants, accounts got filed, they were accurate, we met our legal obligations. Um, the process of really understanding numbers through the business, I would be the first to admit that, that we were not super sharp, um, really until we started thinking about acquisition. I, I, I think, you know, Yapsa wasn't founded by ex-finance people. Um, Meg, do you want to talk about that? Because I know you went on a bit of a sort of transformation journey as well, didn't you, in terms of confidence with numbers through through this process? Can we just thinking from a from a process lens, but thinking about a finance journey we went on? Yeah, absolutely. Rob's right. So I definitely sat in the seat of I'm going to abdicate anything to do with finance to our finance colleagues. Um, I don't necessarily think that's unusual in um, in in our sphere, but also in, in general, right? We've all got full plates. Why would I be thinking about someone else's full plate as well as my own? Um, where that really began to trip us up were those questions that we started to get on our acquisition journey. Um, could we accurately talk through um, our monthly management accounts, for example, or any anomalies that, that may have been there? And it was a categorical no, like right from the off. Um, so in terms of how we then mitigated that with process, we really sorry, did. Sorry, Meg, can I just jump in? Because one of my favorite stories is when our finance leader sat out of the room because she, she was leaving the business. And we, as the remaining leadership team, decided to like not have her in to remove the safety net so we could work out how big the gaps were. Do you remember? Yeah, absolutely. I think we were always such a transparent team and I don't know whether we wanted to admit just how sort of out of our depth we really felt. And that was the forcing function. Um, she was sat next door. We knew we could go and ask her, but the important thing was that she was not there to talk us through this. So we had to do it ourselves. <laughs> if I'd had a timer on the board, wouldn't have even hit five minutes before <laughs> we'd gone and opened the door and asked her to come back in and help us. It was it was shocking. Because, be because we were trying to get into real detail, real accuracy, right? Not just glossing over and being like, they look roughly right. And I think I know what the columns mean. Yeah, okay, fine. On the bank, I can see that I've got enough in the bank account. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the monthly accounts, when when we would when they would hit our, our inbox, um, I'm, I'm speaking for everyone here, but I'm, I'm assuming they all glossed over as I did. You open the document up, you see the different tabs. The tabs largely relate to what you think they should. And then I would check some numbers against like, oh, I know Rob's closed this, that number matches. Seems about right. I wasn't looking at those with any kind of knowledge or context or, or experience really. And I, I didn't know what to look for if things were going wrong. And that was that was a real sort of jarring feeling because it was still negligent of, of us not to know. Um, it wasn't coming from a place of, 
hey, I'm 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 doing this on purpose. Like I, I don't want to know what's going on in these. And and we never thought that there was anything really wrong. Um, but we didn't know enough to to really interrogate those numbers. So apart from that gloss over that we'd all been doing, as soon as we had to dig into any numbers and explain why that number was the way it was, we were really lost. And that that's even as simple as, oh well, I can see there's a formula in this spreadsheet that's noting these numbers and that gives us the total. Why why is the formula chosen those numbers? I could I couldn't tell you that. I couldn't tell you if it had been a formula mistake where someone had copied it over wrong or if that was genuinely how that should be worked out. And and we all really had a, a bit of a rude awakening there. Um, and it was that feeling of, hey, we need to be honest here. Have we all just been sort of glossing over? And and, and that was the case. It was an so, amazing experience, though, wasn't it? Because I remember thinking, we're honest, we're ethical, we're customer centric. We we do, you know, really like timely investor updates. We, we're statutorily compliant. And also, as a first time founder, people encourage you to kind of surround yourself with great people like hire great people and then get out of their way like if you're not careful that's the definition of abdication rather than delegation and so I love it that we're sort of walking into the danger and sort of speaking this truth to other founders because I guarantee 80% of founder-led organizations listening to this and their leadership teams will be in the same boat yeah yeah big time um as much as it's uh as much as it was a shock I knew that this wasn't unusual um, for us only now to be sort of addressing these things and we were we were being forced to address them it wasn't that we were doing this exercise just just for the fun of it you know we had we had questions to to answer in order to ensure that we could be acquired and, and that um, we had responsibly done our due diligence and, and shared a- anything that was relevant so this really was coming from a place of like we really need to get on this um, mm. and that's why because it wasn't just one of these one-off exercises to make our, ourselves feel be- better and like tap our, tap ourselves on the back, we needed a process to make sure that this wasn't just going to be a, oh, remember that time it was awful, but we never really did anything about it and we've just kind of <laughs> carried on. And that's where that's where the repeatable steps of a process come in. Um, what did that look like? Because it was pretty simple, wasn't it? Like it had a big impact on us for something that wasn't hard. Absolutely. Um, it, you don't have to overcomplicate these things. And that's a real key learning, I think, for, for anyone looking to implement the, the process element of, of EOS. And that's from an integrator and a founder persona. Like mm. anyone can think this is more complicated than it is. And I guarantee you the first time you write down some core steps, you'll end up taking 50% of it out. Um, but that was literally, we received the monthly accounts on a set day, um, every month so our accountants would drop them over the second working week of the month they had until the first week to close out the accounts and they got a bit of a shock didn't they when suddenly we had a process and we're like where the f are our accounts <laughs> it, it went from hey they could they could send it over anytime from you know the the 12th to the 21st to no no, no I'm, I'm waiting on them being delivered exactly on the 12th and I'm going to follow up if not so by the next morning it was like Hey, where are these? Where are these accounts? We've actually got actions waiting on this. We've got dependencies now. Um, so that was also a lesson in sort of supplier and stakeholder management. Of yeah, you're going to need to sharpen up as well. Um, and we sort of reset those expectations. Um, but yeah, so once we had the accounts, it was as simple as hey, we're having a meeting next week. It was our normal L10 meeting. Um, so we didn't implement anything new. We didn't put in meetings for meetings' sake. 
but our financial accounts became an issue on our L10 list. Um, so every month we knew there would be a recurring monthly issue that would be interrogating our monthly accounts. Um, <laughs> I would encourage people to add comments beforehand. If there are no comments added beforehand, I found that in our organization, people haven't done the work. It's mm. not a case of, yeah, I read them. I have no questions because we'd gone from, I can't explain any of this. It was not going to be one month in. I've, I've taken half an hour to look at them and now it all makes sense to me. So that was, that was a lesson in sort of our transparency. There's nothing wrong with saying, I've not had time to look at this. Let's just spend the full hour on this. That's fine. Um, but it was when we'd get to that meeting and there'd be no questions, no rows that we wanted to query that I'd be like, guys, have we really, have, have we put the time in here or have we just lost over again? <laughs> and um, the, the power of process as well. Didn't you remember, the thing I remember most also is because I had to understand it, we had to be able to, even at a high level document, it was shocking the number of times you'd ask the accountant a question and you'd have spotted an error. Now I know, you know, big company people, sophisticated people would be, um, you know, like familiar with picking up numbers that their professional services people had got wrong. But that actually was quite shocking to me. And it only was revealed by the process. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it, it almost takes someone looking a little bit more objectively at something. Um, like fresh eyes are, are always important for for those gaps to appear or for those flaws to appear. Or not necessarily mistakes that we found, but we found ourselves querying like, oh, well, why is that on the liability sheet when actually in our methodology, it probably should be on like deferred income, for example. Um, and it was only when we actually took the time to start learning and, and asking those questions that we learned about our own business, which mm -hmm. is which is nuts, right? But it's, it's what we needed to do to really get into the, the weeds of what was going on to then be able to, like this is all leading back to how can we, show what a competent business we are and, and look at our um look at our business case for acquisition if i can't tell you why it's in deferred income when actually i thought it was like a one-off payment for example if i can't talk you through the the anomalies that are that are in our financials then that is always going to raise alarm bells even if it's not something that actually is a deal breaker the deal breaker itself is you can't talk competently to your own numbers yeah um so yeah, that was that was really clear, and obviously it's an added bonus when we can spot something and be like, "Hey, should this not be?" And then yeah, it was a really it was a great sort of sense of, "Oh, we've 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 accomplished something here. We've done something." I felt the same way. It's funny actually. Whilst like it was a painful transition to go through, I feel really proud now of not being a sort of useless, innumerate, like quote visionary founder leader. It feels way better to feel like a capable executive that can do vision a bit of vision operating and then sort of sensible resource management um meg can we talk a little bit about post acquisition or even talk about what it would be like if you were acquiring a business now um the role that process plays in running a business coherently afterwards sort of as the you know the acquiree or the acquirer um i think we've had a relatively smooth experience afterwards and i think a lot of it's because of that work that was done on process would you say that's fair to say because also being transparent with the audience we had to downsize yapster to make it profitable and self-sustaining as an entity to be acquired the you know interest rates went up 
the attractiveness of sort of the go, you know, companies funded in the go-go years to be deliberately loss-making in pursuit of growth. That chapter was changing around the time that we acquired. So we, we restructured the business so that it could be um, sustainable for the, for the, the acquirer. So anyway, we don't really need to get into that, but just to be honest with the audience and Meg, do you want to talk about how the role that process played in allowing continuity for the customers and our new owners? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, the, the, the key thing here, key is, is key man risk. Um, as Rob said, we did have to downsize. Um, so we did go from a team of 15 to three, um, two of which being on the call now. Um, and we, part and parcel of that acquisition was we were we were sold as a going concern so they, there was to be no service disruption or as little as possible to our customers and, and we were really passionate about that because all of this has been in service of the customer how totally. do we keep delivering that service when we knew that we couldn't maintain that as an independent entity and, and sorry just for listeners also the organization that we're a part of has got 60 people right so you just you just can't have duplicative functions and headcount because it feels good um sorry meg yeah carry on yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so this wasn't a case of um, just merging as is. There was a lot of work that went into sort of pre-acquisition, what this could look like based on the, the headcount that we were moving over and also the, the capacity as well. Um, you can't just uh, give out 15 people's worth of jobs to, to three people. The maths doesn't work there. Um, so being being clear that we had the seats that we had, we had three seats, um, we obviously needed to maintain that service. So the product itself still needed to stand up. We needed someone to support the product. Um, but the rest of our operations, for example, were really going to be condensed and downsized. Um, process was key here. Even if you talk sort of super loosely around supplier management, there were tons of suppliers that just weren't going to be um, part of our journey any further um, because the sort of the sales, the marketing, the, the active development side of things wasn't going to be uh, pro- wasn't going to be um, part of the elements of process and function that that moved over um, because so that was already of, covered by the other the other entity, right? Yeah, absolutely. So there's a lot of um, functions where we may have the the same provider for a function, um, but they would still be separate accounts. Um, and then also there'll be comparative. So if you take your your accountancy, um, your information security, um, anything to do with sort of subscription management, for example, um, any error logging, monitoring for dev, you're gonna have to make some make some changes there in order to to condense those and then start the process of moving assets over to to the new system. Um, so a lot of sort of unraveling and condensing went into sort of pre-acquisition. Um, we were able to um, downsize the, the the operating costs of the business quite significantly um, while we made that move over. Um, and as Rob said, making sure that as an as an entity, we could still deliver that service um, relatively sort of um, price efficiently or cost efficiently, rather than still having these these sort of inflated expenses. Um, and then being acquired. Um, and then also looking sort of actually post acquisition, really just understanding how much of the, the customer support uh, process was really crucial. And then how much of that were the additional things that we were doing as a growing company. Um, because we had those core processes of how the business operates down, living, evolving processes, we were able to just keep on running. Um, the strain actually wasn't very tough at all I want to say um, when we were actually acquired 
um, at the beginning of this year. Um, so we went from a team of five customer support agents to actually just myself um, because we were able to to automate and self serve a lot of the um, a lot of the elements of the process that were required. Um, and then we were able to evaluate the the rest of the steps and think, okay, how do we mitigate here without changing the relationships we have with those customers and, and without really damaging that uh, that level of service. So our our SLA did change um, slightly. We went from 24 hours to 48 hours. Um, that's still very responsive for our area of, of the, the tech space. Um, but I can't point to any real huge changes to customers um, that were made because of this acquisition. Because as I've said, the, the most important thing was that service delivery. Um, and on the technical side of things, we've been able to maintain that um, really well and concentrate on just moving all of that support over to our acquirers systems to ensure that not only are we delivering that service, but we now have a much larger team in support of that. And that key man risk is is no more. Um, So that technical lead, yes, is is the point person, um, but we have business continuity in place to make sure that any other member of that technical team of the acquirer can jump in. We wouldn't have had that if all of the processes were just in our technical leads brain. Uh, listen, and Meg, you did an amazing job on that, to be fair, because I think one of the things the reason I like being transparent about this stuff is it doesn't get talked about enough. You know, if you build a really big business that gets acquired, not just as a going concern, but as a kind of value, like a growth engine for the acquiring company, they're going to leave everything in place. You're going to keep all of your functions and they're just going to keep growing that independently as a sure. totally separate sister division. Um, in that case, process is still important because the acquirer needs to understand it to be able to model it and fund it to scale it up. But in many cases, if you get acquired where part of the rationale is strategic synergy, cost synergy, so that the acquired assets more profitable for the acquirer, mm-hmm. which is ultimately the, the best way of creating value for the exiting shareholders, um, that necessarily is going to involve like streamlining the acquired entity where you keep as much of the things that directly go to value and you 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 take out any cost that doesn't directly speak to value. Nobody talks about it because it's really uncomfortable. Um, I'm super proud that through the Yapster journey, like as we were seeking acquisition, we went to the whole market and decided, is this going to be a growth investment thing? Are we going to be a tuck-in somewhere? And the whole team were were transparently included all along, all the way along the way, which also meant that you were able to be really honest with people about building out processes that mitigated key man risk, and colleagues supported that so that they didn't feel like they screwed mm-hmm. over customers or screwed over colleagues or anybody else that might step into their to their seat. I mean, look, not all entrepreneurs listening to this are going to be able to follow that because it's as much about culture as it was about process, but. Um, I thought you did an excellent job of that. I hope I played some small role in creating a culture where people felt comfortable. Yeah, no, absolutely. Of course. I mean, when you talk key, key man risk, the the sort of short term element of that is and, and in terms of communicating that to the rest of your team. Hey, like we want you to use up the annual leave that we give you. Like, please take a rest, go on holiday, do what you want to do. Like, that's a great point. You can't do that if you are integral to how a system runs people shouldn't be in a system people should use a system so that that is the short-term sort of scenario where you you can get people starting to think about not just in theory why this is a good thing but why this is a good thing for them and how how it um influences their decisions and, and how it benefits them everything that i want to communicate out to teams now 
I ask myself, like, what's in it for them? Like, why do they care? Because that's so crucial to to sharing information and making sure that things stick and that you're able to sort of get people on board with you. If if this is just a cold, hey, you have to write down everything you do on a daily basis. Sure, they're going to do it because you've just told them in a really grim way to do it. But like, that's not how you get people on board with you. And that's not how you get people moving towards the same goals as you. So as, as I said, the short term is someone else needs to come in and do your job and cover for you. And we want you to go off and, and have a lovely break. The sort of more stark reminder of that is if there is one person that genuinely is running a lot of the business or a key part of the business, that's a massive business risk. Hmm. That's a huge business continuity risk, disaster recovery. If they're key to your disaster recovery, like genuinely, what will you do if they get hit by a bus? It's a, it's a horrible reminder But that's what we had to keep asking ourselves to force ourselves to do this exercise because no one wants to sit down and write this all down just for the sake of it. You have to be thinking about what your what your end goals are and why you're doing this. Um, And that was that was very true of our technical lead who for the past eight years has had to carry his laptop around with him on every family holiday ever. Like (laughs) that's not that's not fun. That's not a life. Um, And only now through this acquisition has, has he been able to move a lot of that that technical burden over to manage systems and to a larger team that's going to enable him to hopefully take a break son's laptop uh, once or twice so that's that's the way I think of things when I think about how we sort of communicate that so obviously the acquisition as you've mentioned meant that we we didn't keep all of our employees and we did go through a, a, a consultation process but it wasn't a case of we'd said nothing to them and then all of a sudden they have to write down everything they do because they're about to not do it like I can't emphasize enough that is the wrong way to do this please (laughs) never do that but it'd always been part of our part of our operating system of we follow our core processes everyone is following that same like putting in the same thing the inputs are the same to give you broadly the same outputs and that meant moving people in and out whether it be annual leave or anything sort of more long-term became a lot more of a sort of business as usual process rather than a stark, Oh God, we need random people to just jump on things. And the service is going to be, um, is going to be delivered in a different way. So that was, that was really key. Transparency and communication have to go hand in hand, uh, hand in hand with us. Amazing. You say you're not in sales. I heard you heard it here first. Meg Payne, integrator, exited yapster says document processes and you and your people will be able to go on holiday is that right oh absolutely that's exactly (laughs) what i'm thinking when i'm writing any of this down someone else can do it for me you know (laughs) meg thank you so much for doing this we've now we've we've done the process component to death there's five more components of the eos model so i think that means you're morally obligated to another five episodes with me at some point people next people next all right i'll look forward (laughs) to that thank you so much see you again no problem thanks Rob.